Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Beluga! Did you hear that? That's your moose asking for Manscaped. Yeah, and, and you want to have quality products when you're working down there. This is a quality product, the Premium Lawnmower 3.0. It is waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. It includes an LED light, see what you're doing. And it's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You don't need any of that. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. They're real things. They're both great, super practical. They smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Shaping Boxer Briefs. So you wanna act now, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Another edition of the Metrospective, Pete McCarthy with Tim Britton. Tim will be back this week. Rustin Dodd has been covering on the beat. And Rustin, uh, Monday the Mets have an opportunity to take 304 from the Philadelphia Phillies. They storm back from a 6-0 deficit, losing extras, and it, it just feels like such an opportunity going by the wayside this weekend. Yeah, indeed. It, especially the way everything has, has unfolded the last few days with the Pete Alonso seemingly kind of his off his bat coming alive and Jeff McNeil finally showing some power and then he comes up with a big hit and they come back it, it felt like they would have been able to take three or four you know you're, you're gaining some momentum in the standings and also just some momentum going into this week and all of a sudden they would be sort of right in the thick of things and uh, they're not out of it as we sort of talked offline but but yeah, it feels like one of those games that you're you're gonna remember. Well, this is one of those things is the Mets are looking up at the Phillies, I and mean, you see the weaknesses that the Phillies have, namely that bullpen. I mean, watching the Mets bullpen and the Phillies bullpen go at it is not. Is, it, <laughs> I guess it's fun because you you have comebacks and no lead is really safe, but it's also it's frustrating as heck if you're the team in front. Well, indeed, especially I feel like they don't even really need to put the runner on second base in extra innings. <laughs> like they, they, these are two teams that it's not going to go that long in, in extras. So maybe they don't need that rule. No, I mean, that's been part of it. But you, you did mention uh, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil breaking out a little bit. I mean, you look at what Michael Conforto has done overall this season as well as we really hit the home stretch. If we were just to look at this team as far as where the offense is right now, because this team, they waited so long to figure out how to hit with scoring, men in scoring position and get that big hit. They've had some big hits in recent weeks. Is there enough there that for this final stretch, you at least look at the offense as something that won't be a problem for this team? Yeah, I mean, I think Tim covered this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, right as, right as he was taking off. 
you know, they, the offense had been performing at a higher level than, the, than they were scoring runs, if that makes sense. Obviously, they had a lot of issues with runners in scoring position. But they had a lot of guys producing, and it was just one of those things, I don't know if, it, you know, small sample, luck, whatever, not getting the big hits. And also, Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil were maybe not performing to their, you know, regular performance level. And so, you know, you get those two guys going, and you have Conforto, doing what he's doing and, and some other guys in the lineup, Dom Smith, who's been, been really productive. It does feel like for the first time, the offense is sort of all, you know, firing at once. Um, and so you have to feel good about that, you know, heading into, you know, the final kind of stretch these last few weeks. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, can they continue to hit with runners in scoring position and get those big hits? And is it enough, um, you know, when Jacob deGrom is in pitching? Yeah, the rest of this starting staff, uh, with the exception of Seth Lugo, at least was stretched out to be able to go five innings this past weekend. Uh, it, it leaves a little bit to be desired, obviously, with David Peterson hit hard on Monday. Uh, but we talked a little bit last podcast about Todd Frazier being brought in and, and trying to loosen things up a little bit. I mean, I, I, the fact that he comes back and McNeil and Alonzo start hitting, is there anything to that, you think? Well, I mean, Todd Frazier, or I should say Pete Alonso said uh, yesterday after he hit two home runs uh, that that he was using Todd Frazier's bat, that he had he'd been starting <laughs> using that since he had come back. So maybe they traded for Todd Frazier just so Pete Alonso could use his bat. Um, you know, I don't think that's the case, but it was. Uh, so add another add another positive to, uh, to the Frazier column so far being back uh, in flushing. Uh, you know, whatever works, right? And uh, the Mets, they certainly needed to get Pete Alonso unlocked, and they hope that that has happened now after this weekend against Philadelphia. You also had the game on Sunday where the Mets just blow out the Phillies, and Jacob deGrom is terrific. 12 strikeouts. His ERA is, uh, what, below 1.7 at this point. And I know you, Darvish, is having a great season for the Cubs, and there are some other pitchers that are in this mix, but... Over the final three weeks here, there's at least a pretty good shot for Jacob deGrom to try to pull down a third consecutive NL Cy Young Award, and that's something that not even the late Tom Seaver has done in the history of these New York Mets. Yeah, I mean, he's right there, and I'm, I'm looking at the numbers now. You Darvish, a 1-4-4 ERA with a 7-1, and uh, 50 innings pitched. DeGrom, 1-6-9, 48 innings pitched. Um so not a, not a significant difference. Um, it's it's funny because I mean if you just think about how small this or short the season is and how one start can really distort everything. So if you want to win the Cy Young, you basically have to not have a bad outing these last three weeks. And if one of those guys goes out and gives up four or five runs in you know four or five innings or what what have you, all of a sudden you know you're kind of knocked out of contention probably. So um, small margin for error for both of those guys. But I think. If you just think of DeGrom's track record and his consistency and how well he's pitched over the last few years, even being maybe slightly behind Darvish if they were voting today, I, I think you you have to feel pretty good about his chances. And 12 consecutive starts for Jacob DeGrom, allowing two earned runs or less. And he's had that consistency many times over the course of his career, maybe not to that degree, uh, but we've seen that from him. So he would seem to be unlikely that he has that blow-up start as I just throw uh, the big jinx on it. But you know what is amazing me watching DeGrom this year is just how effortless it all seems, where he's throwing 100 miles per hour 
there's no max effort. There's no, you know, grunting or anything along those lines. It just all seems to come so easy to him right now. Yeah. You know, I've been working on a story on DeGrom that has not come out yet, but I've, you know, I've watched him closely the last few years being in New York, but I've not watched him to the level that probably a lot of Mets fans have, you know, throughout his career. And and I was talking to somebody who knew him when he was younger. um, And I'd never thought about this comparison, but the way he, this person described it, they were talking about, you know, both DeGrom and Zach Greinke are both from Florida. And both, both those guys were shortstops when they, uh, were in high school and they were both, you know, position players kind of first before they just were so talented on the mound that that's what they did. And it, if you watch DeGrom pitch, you can, it's just the way you just said effortless. It made me think of just the athleticism that he shows on the mound. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, just the way he pitches. I mean, it's just like, it's, it sounds kind of cliche, I guess, but it's like fun to watch him pitch just the way his body works and how, and how easy things seem for him. Um, and I, I think you get that same feeling with a guy like Zach Greinke, but the, the, the difference with the Grom is that he throws 99 miles an hour, you know? So um, it's that it's that sort of combination of finesse and power that, like, you just don't really see in a lot of guys. And what's amazing about DeGrom is he wasn't this guy even, what, two, three years ago. He's throwing 95, and he was a terrific pitcher. And now he gets this 100-mile-per-hour fastball that has developed, and it, he knows how to pitch. Uh, as you talked about, the athleticism, fielding his position is something he does well, as does, uh, obviously, Zach Granke. And, and it's really just been amazing to watch his growth and uh, the consistent dominance that, that he has shown over the years. And, and of course, this week... You have the passing of Tom Seaver as well. And and one of those things that just struck me is, you know, now Jacob deGrom has put himself into this Mount Rushmore of Mets pitchers where you you can actually have a conversation about Jacob deGrom versus Tom Seaver. We all know Tom Seaver is the franchise that for a much longer time, complete games, all these uh, different kind of numbers you could throw out there. But, you know, Jacob deGrom has ascended where there's not too much of an argument that you could put up that he's not the second best pitcher in the history of this franchise. And yet, sadly, Jacob DeGrom never had a chance to to talk with Tom Seaver and, and get anything, you know, directly from the uh, the ultimate Mets pitcher. No, he, he mentioned that yesterday. You know, Pete Alonso in, in the postgame yesterday said Jacob DeGrom should be a Hall of Famer. He was, he was calling it now, um, which is a nice thing for a teammate to say. But if it, it, it makes me think if you're just looking at the careers of DeGrom and Seaver, obviously Seaver debuted so much earlier, so, at a so, so much younger age. And obviously pitchers back then just pitched so much more when you looked at the innings, uh, the starts each year, and, you know, the wins that, that pitchers got. So, you know, if you look at – if you're going to compare those careers when they're over, like there's just going to be a significant difference in the wins, the innings – Probably the strikeouts, although DeGrom, obviously, with the way people strike out more hitters these days, maybe the, the margin is a little closer than you think. Um, but I, I think if you're just like, it'll be interesting to look at the peak of each guy, right? Like the those five or six seasons where they're at their peak level. And I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that DeGrom's peak is is slightly better than, than Seaver's. So it'll be, you know, interesting to see how you, we look at that in the years uh, like to come. And also, I guess, how we even look at Jacob DeGrom as a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's another whole another conversation. But 
just his peak is going to be at such a high level. But, you know, what will we do when, when he doesn't necessarily have, you know, the counting stats, the wins, you know, the innings, all those sort of things that we're used to. You know, it'll be interesting to see how we rate starting pitchers, you know, at a Hall of Fame level in a few years. Because if you're just looking at, like, the best pitchers of this generation, I mean, Jacob deGrom is going to be in the top three or four, um, you know, and, and potentially higher if, if he can even uh, – continue to pitch at this level for the next two or three years. Yeah, DeGrom's under contract for a while, so he'll have a chance to rack up some of those counting stats. But you look at his career numbers, he's got 69 wins, and he's already 32 years old. So, you know, you start doing the math, he's lucky if he gets to 150 probably over the course of his career, which would never be a Hall of Fame conversation in the past. But when you consider uh, why his win total is as low as it is, whether it be the bullpen, the 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 offense, the not pitching as deep into games is a factor of his era. Uh, you know, that all plays into it as well. I, I do want to get back to Seaver. Is there anything that maybe a, a story that you heard, uh, a, a factoid that was thrown out there, anything that you learned uh, about Tom Seaver over the course of the last week that uh, that jumped out at you? Well, you know, I, I guess I was thinking – um, if you saw the, the clip of Tom Seaver talking about his encounter with Lou Brock, uh, who just passed away, obviously, um, at the 1967 All-Star Game, uh, where Lou Brock uh, asked him to go get a Coke. And then Tom Seaver, <laughs> thinking that Tom Seaver was like a clubhouse attendant, and Tom Seaver said, go get your own bleeping Coke. Um, <laughs> but I, I also, you know, Ron Trubota, um talked the other day, and he, he talked a lot of, just about playing alongside Tom Seaver, but also visiting him out at his winery in 2017. And, and just sort of the emotion in his voice um, and the stories about, you know, the beginning stages of dementia and, and not knowing if, if it was going to be a good day or a bad day when they arrived with some former teammates. Um, and then it, it, it was a good day and they were able to have that. And, you know, I think the way Ron put it was, you know, those memories for him are, are gold. And, um, you know, for those to be kind of taken from from Tom Seaver in the last years of his life was was certainly a kind of a poignant thought and, and just memory that uh, that I was thinking about the last few days. The all time met uh, the franchise Tom Seaver passing away this week. Uh, certainly sad for for many many Mets fans. Uh, those are old enough to have watched his glory days with the team and and even those uh, who just heard about it and knew his stature. Uh, within this franchise and beyond in the game of baseball. Uh, But Rustin Dodd, outstanding job uh, filling in for Tim over the last few weeks and uh, really enjoyed doing these podcasts with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, I'll be back with Tim Friday morning, next episode of The Metrospective.